I'm Kat Richardson. I'm also K.R. Richardson. I write strange books that meld mystery with science fiction and or fantasy and then go off in weird directions, and I hope you'll enjoy them. This is the first episode of a series about Kat Richardson's Blood Orbit. Cad Richardson lives in Western Washington, writing and editing crime, mystery, science fiction, and fantasy. She is the award-winning and best-selling author of The Grey Walker Paranormal Detective Novels and a freelance editor of Genre Fiction. As a former journalist and nonfiction editor, she has a wide range of publications on topics from technology, software, and security to history, health, and precious metals. A lifelong fan of crime and mystery fiction and noir films. She is also the author of the science fiction thriller Blood Orbit, winner of the 2019 Endeavor Award under the pseudonym K.R. Richardson. So, Kat, the common thread I see among the many wonderful books you, you are publishing is noir and crime or mystery. Can you explain to the audience why is noir crime and mystery so fun to read? I think it's fun because mystery of all kinds sets up the framework of something has gone wrong with the world and we have to fix it. And especially these days, I think that really resonates. People like to solve problems and people like to engage in a challenge that leads them to a satisfactory ending. Noir likes to take that and go towards a realistic but sometimes unsatisfying ending that is... um, a little bit grim, and sometimes reality is a little grim, and I think that's where people hook into noir, as opposed to a cozier format of classic-style mystery. So they both have applications to the real world in ways that don't force you to go out onto weird speculative limbs. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I feel that uh, some people are cut out for noir and some people go like, why did you have to end it that way? Does that happen to you? (laughs) Oh yeah. A very early review of the Greywalker novels. I got a, this woman doesn't know her audience. What an unsatisfying ending. How could she do this to us? (laughs) And I thought apparently have just brought, not written the right book for that particular reader. (laughs) Right, right. So how did it all start? Like, how did the noir fiction bug bite you with its inky black venom? Was it when you were growing up, like Spider-Man? Is that your origination story? Yeah, it's uh, actually, I grew up in um, Los Angeles County. And early on, there was a television show that was played on Saturday nights and then again on Sunday mornings. And, and all they showed were old black and white films. And so I got started watching all of these old films. And of course, a lot of them were film noir, you know, early detective fiction, things like DOA, the original version, and films like that. And to me, they were 
all in the same world and all in the same space that I kind of occupied. Everything from silly musicals by Busby Berkeley all the way to the Maltese Falcon were all just stuffed into my little preteen head, and they've lived there ever since. Wow. That's cool. I think for me, noir came to me later in life, probably in my 30s, maybe even. And it just like I got hooked on it at that point because it was uh, it was so fun to... It's like towards the end of the story, you still didn't know how it was going to turn out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the great things about noir is that it it's built for twists and weird, unexpected endings and characters doing things that the archetypal good guy doesn't do. And that that's kind of, um, it's intriguing, and it, it pulls on me in ways that going straight down a more classic role don't necessarily do. I always like to see things that take a sudden weird turn or go in some direction that you thought, oh, they wouldn't do that, and then suddenly they do, and you're like, wow, that's kind of weird and unsettling, and yet it's also very satisfying to see something that's not what you expected. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I, I, I feel like noir also brings along some of the stylist writing that I enjoy. Uh, what do you oh, think yeah. about that? Oh, it's very stylish. There's a bunch of different discussions about whether the term noir comes from the film criticism of the 50s and 60s, where French film critics labeled the American genre of crime fiction films as films noir because they were physically dark, because they had tiny budgets, is the real reason that that happened. But that doesn't seem to be the case. We seem to have been talking about film noir and noir fiction way back before that label got applied. And I think it's kind of that existential dread thing that came out into the public in between World War One and World War Two, And then it really starts rolling during that fear of nuclear Armageddon that starts in 40s and 50s and then informs a lot of science fiction stories like On the Beach, which pure science fiction, you're talking about the world at the moment of nuclear destruction. And that melds really well with a lot of the noir mystery stuff that came out starting in the 1920s with writers like Dashiell Hammett and Cornell Woolrich and then continuing with people like James M. Kane and then Jim Thompson and now the modern noir writers or what they sometimes call themselves neo-noir writers. And they're all strung together, this, this pulp fiction concept, because pulp fiction early on didn't differentiate between mystery, horror, and science fiction. It squished it all together. And that's part of the reason that the, in my opinion, the World Mystery Convention, which is called BoucherCon and is named after an editor named Anthony Boucher, he's best known as an editor in the mystery world, but he wrote science fiction. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. this. Yeah, and the, conven- the, uh, the magazines that he worked for were initially undifferentiated. They published science fiction, mystery, and what we now think of as fantasy, as well as confession romance, 
all in the same volume. They, the genre hadn't been broken as small as it is now. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of cross-pollinization then between science fiction and mysteries and other things that, that we think of now as being very separated. The early Fu Manchu novels are basically kind of science fiction fantasy mysteries, really, because they incorporate all this stuff that we would now say, oh, that's woo-woo fiction, we don't do that. <laughs> but at the time, everybody did that. Wow, okay. I like it. I, you had a quote back there that I lost. It was, oh, ex- existential dread. That was a nice <laughs> nice line. <laughs> We're bringing existential oh. dread to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming soon to a magazine near you. (laughs) Existential angst and dread. (laughs) Buy yours now. (laughs) So after publishing your best-selling Grey Walker paranormal detective novels, what got you involved with writing science fiction? The science fiction actually, in a way, came first because I uh, started writing what became Grey Walker when I was deeply engaged with some early gaming forums or fora if you're being really snarky. (laughs) That would be snarky, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of the kids I was playing with, I was was in my my early 30s, and I knew all these teenagers and 20-somethings, but I didn't know how old they were because... We were just typing into the into the forum software. We didn't even have something like Skype or Zoom then. Mm-hmm. It was all, you know, how fast can you type and IRC stuff. Yeah. And a whole bunch of them were big science geeks. And I had already been kind of interested in popular science and that sort of thing. And I was a little bit of a physics groupie. I, I think quantum and particle physics are absolutely fascinating topics. And so we would sit around talking about the weirdo science behind what was happening in the computer world. And then in the science world at the time, while playing these weird uh, games that were often kind of mystery-like. And the first game I ever played very seriously was Thief the Dark Project, which is a a creeping around in the dark and stealing things game. (laughs) (laughs) But we're sitting around in the background talking about advances in in physics and quantum theory. At the time, the Higgs boson was a big deal. No one had yet found one. There was a lot of discussion about it. And so all these little science fiction ideas were running around in the back of my head. And when I had to formulate a, a magic system for the Greywalker paranormal world, I actually modeled it on real-life quantum physics theory. So wow. the, the magic system is actually quantum physics. Sweet. Um, so I've always been embedding science fiction in my cross-genre mysteries because science is cool. (laughs) I'm still not 100% sure who's responsible for saying any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, but it's a great quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, a couple names pop in my head, but I don't know which one it is, so I'm going <laughs> to go. <laughs> I've seen it attributed to like four different writers, and I think uh, that it's one of those things everybody kept stealing from somebody else and then passing on to the next yeah, guy. Probably. <laughs> Although Ray Bradbury is is credited with another great quote, and he says, everything you imagine is fiction, and everything you can make is science. Therefore, the entire world is science fiction. <laughs> Way to go, Bradbury. You screwed up our genres again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the idea that, you know, we're 
kind of engaged with science fiction all the time. Anytime you're thinking about science or thinking about a problem or thinking about a story that in some wise is linked to real-world science, you're kind of making science fiction in your head all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you can even go further with the fiction versus nonfiction divide, people, is that when you write nonfiction, the, the resolution's imperfect, so it's actually a, a facsimile of fiction. So it's, it, you could even call it kind of, not nonfiction, but still fiction about nonfiction or something like that. <laughs> fictional nonfiction. Yeah, right, <laughs> fictional right. fiction. Uh, well, it's like the early science fiction, you know, Jules Verne stuff, yeah. and now it's kind of looked upon as its own thing, you know, steampunk, which has moved into fantasy because it's so far removed from real science now. Uh-huh. And and yet it comes out of science fiction. What we... Science that didn't work out becomes fantasy. Science that does work out <laughs> becomes science fiction. There we go. Are you going to call the bookstores and have them reshelf Greywalker now? They're going to have to... <laughs> <laughs> no, first I'd have to convince some of them to take it out of the horror department, strangely. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's true, paranormal, but yeah. Huh. yeah. As soon as you hit the paranormal marks, you, you frequently end up in the horror section. Yeah, that's true. I suppose that's right. If you enjoy listening to Sci-Fi Thoughts, but find it difficult to remember to check the website for new shows, get this technology from the future! Install into your phone a podcast player. Using this, you can subscribe to our podcast feed. And next thing you know, you'll be cruising around in your car with your phone plugged in, playing sci-fi thoughts, or you'll be out there jogging, or you'll be doing whatever you want to do. And have your ears plugged into some cool science fiction programming. You can find instructions on lancerkind.com. We have show notes and we have goodies in the show notes, like links back to K.R. Richardson's books, some interviews she's done on YouTube, and other things about noir. Where are the show notes? The show notes show up in your podcast player right there for easy tapping in the palm of your hand or into your laptop. If you don't use a podcast player, go back to the website where you've downloaded this MP3 and you will see the show notes there. Next episode, more Cat Richardson. So tell us about Blood Orbit. <laughs> Not the title I originally put on it. That was... Um... That was actually an idea that came about because of some research that I did for the Greywalker series. Way back at book two in that series, I ran into the Wami massacre case here in the Seattle area, and it's absolutely horrible, real-life murder. It, it's kind of famous. It ha- I believe it was 1988, oh. if I remember correctly, in the International District of Chinatown, depending on how you want to label it, there there was a, a horrible mass killing in a late-night Chinese club. It was four Chinese business owners and in the neighborhood, and one morning, 13 people are found dead on the floor. Wow. 